in Scripture and not the way we imagine him to be based on some outside factor. Did you get that? Let me repeat that. The challenge for us is to view God the way he has revealed himself in Scripture, not the way we imagine him to be based on these outside factors. God isn't primarily this or that attribute to the exclusion of others. God is all of these attributes completely and perfectly. And the way we do this is we learn, we believe, and then we obey Scripture. We are in constant need of understanding and recalibrating our view of God based on the Word of God. Today we continue our series on the attributes of God, and we're going to explore the love of God, the love of God. And here the task of aligning our view of God with Scripture is particularly challenging. Why do I say that? Well, there are a lot of factors that prevent us from knowing and embracing the love of God the way he's revealed in Scripture. For some, they experienced a harsh upbringing, and it is hard for them to view God as loving. For others, their life experiences, maybe shooting beyond childhood, sicknesses, financial problems, marital strife, have been very hard, and it predisposes them to think that God is distant. For still others, their church background might have placed a very heavy emphasis on the justice and the wrath of God to the exclusion of the love of God. And so the idea of God being loving sounds foreign to them. On the other hand, to others who have perhaps a, who have a very permissive, overly permissive upbringing, they might view God as love, but their understanding of love doesn't actually match what Scripture teaches what love is. They might readily affirm that God is love, but they, what they mean by that is something vastly different in Scripture. To put it simply, their view of God is not so much our Father in heaven, but our grandfather in heaven who lives to spoil us and yes that's what grandparents live to do my dad is coming in a week or so and I'm gonna see a man that I do not recognize <laughs> he is different as my dad than he is to my grandkids or his grandkids just different guy So we have our work cut out for us, don't we? To dig down into what is the love of God. Because we have a lot of things that are pulling us in different directions and we need to know what does God's word actually say about the love of God. But friends, trust me, it is worth it. Our efforts are not in vain. You will truly be blessed if you understand 
what we're talking about when we speak of the love of God. And as we see what Scripture says, I think you'll be enthralled by this glorious attribute. So as we kind of get started here, just wanted to give a quick overview about the love of God. I think we need to begin with just the simple idea that God is inherently loving. 1 John 4.8 says it succinctly, God is love. God is love. God is certainly more than love. He's other attributes, but he's no less. And he's, his loving character is essential to knowing who he is. And he is the source of love. He is the standard of love. So whatever you think about when you hear the word love, friends, we need to always square it with what we know of God and his love. Amen? Now, going a little bit further, what do we mean when we say, okay, God is love? What does that actually mean? I like what theologian Wayne Grudem says. He says that God's love means that, quote, God eternally gives of himself to others. He eternally gives of himself to others. So you see this idea of self-giving that will come out a little bit later. But I want you to see for a moment that when we talk about the love of God, there's this notion of self-giving to others. You see it in the Trinity to start with, how God displays this perfect love within the persons of the Trinity. You see this in Mark chapter 1, verses 10 to 11. Jesus' baptism, the Father says, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Likewise, in John 14, 30 to 31, Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And it's safe to assume the same relationship exists with the Holy Spirit. Their love is fully satisfying. God did not create humans because somehow he was lacking in love. In his book about God's attributes, Mark Jones says, if there were no world and no universe, the persons of the Trinity would still have an infinite, blessed, unchangeable, eternal, powerful love between them, an inward love. This love satisfies them because it is a perfect love. It cannot be increased or decreased in any way. So there's this perfect love within the persons of the Trinity, but yet God also decided to show his love to creation. And in Scripture, the chief focus upon God's outward love to his creation is on his people. Yes, God loves the created world. Yes, God loves all of humanity. There's other Scriptures we could look at. But what you primarily see is God's richness of his love toward his people. We see that his love is abundant. His love is abundant. Friend, you can't even fathom its depth and its riches. You know, with all of these attributes, God is infinite. He's infinitely powerful, uh, merciful, and so forth. All of these, he is infinitely loving. Pastor Rick Warren says, God's love is like an ocean. You can see its beginning, but not its end. God's love is abundant. It's also fervent. His love is strong. It's not half-hearted. He has a strong love. You may feel like that you have very few people in your life that have a fervent love for you. 
Well, let me encourage you this morning that God has a strong love for you. You are the apple of his eye. Zephaniah 3.17 is a beautiful passage. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. Listen to this. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Did you hear that? God sings over his people because he loves them so much. God loves you fervently. So if your view of God is somehow cold or overly harsh, we need to recalibrate how we see God, don't we? His love is abundant. His love is fervent. His love is everlasting. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. What a wonderful thought. His, His love will never go away. Never go away. As we just sang, your love never fails and never gives up. It never runs out on me. Some people in life stop loving you. Maybe it's distance. Maybe it's circumstances. Whatever it might be, people in life just stop loving us. And that hurts, doesn't it? Especially when they're really close. But God will never run out of love for you. I hope some of these things, this is kind of preliminary, I hope that helps you and encourages you to see and think properly about who God is based on what his word says, not what all these other factors might predispose us to view the love of God. Amen? So as we ponder the love of God, I think the most defining feature, though, those other things are great, but when you look at the love of God in Scripture, what I believe stands out the most is that God's love is sacrificial. His love is sacrificial. This is emphasized the most in Scripture. God's love stirs him to not only act on our behalf, but to act sacrificially on our behalf. He's willing to suffer loss for our benefit. You know, it sometimes says the measure of someone's love is what are you willing to give for that person, right? What are you willing to sacrifice? Well, this is the heart of God because the greatest act of service, the greatest act of love was the redemptive mission of the Father sending the Son to this planet to redeem people. This is the essence of love. And we see the love of God both from the Father and the Son. Let me start with the Son. He left behind the glories of heaven, his own majesty, while still fully God, takes on humanity, lives a very humble life for 30 years, then begins his ministry. And usually wherever he went, he faced crowds of religious leaders that opposed what he said or encountered crowds who misunderstood what he was about. Even his own disciples really didn't have much of a clue as to his identity until the end. This is what Jesus 
constantly endured. But Jesus knew that that was really just nothing because his mission was ultimately going to take him to the cross, which he would do for others. John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus was willing to go to the cross and die this agonizing death and to endure the wrath of God for our sins. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's a big word we just talked about there. Propitiation. It literally means an atoning sacrifice that takes away someone's wrath. So Jesus' death was an atoning sacrifice that took away the wrath of God on our behalf. In other words, what I should have suffered in hell, Jesus suffered on the cross. And he did that for multiplied millions of people in that limited span of time. The love of the Son The sacrificial love of the Son is staggering. Now, when we discuss the cross, we often overlook the sacrificial love of the Father, but we shouldn't. 1 John 4, 9 says, In this is love, excuse me, in this love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. So the Father displayed his sacrificial love by sending his son, into this world to redeem it. He did this despite knowing that the world would rebel against his son and ultimately cry out for his own crucifixion. There's a beautiful song called How Deep the Father's Love for Us, and it puts it well. It says, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch a treasure. How great the the pain of searing loss, the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. There was a, a, a movie that came out a number of years ago. It's a short little fictional movie. It's called The Bridge or sometimes called The Most. But it depicts a father um, and it sort of just gives you a glimpse of what might have taken place within the persons of the Trinity. But it depicts a father who was a drawbridge operator, and he had a a young son. One day the son was allowed to come and join him at work. And while his father was working, the son sees a train coming unexpectedly, right? And so he runs down into where the control levers are, and he's trying to pull this. Well, he got stuck down in there. Meanwhile, the father sees the train coming. He sees what is now taking place. He sees that there is now no time to go and pull his son out. He has a choice. He can lower the drawbridge and crush his son, thereby saving the hundreds of people who are on the train, most of them who have absolutely no idea what is taking place, or he could just go rescue his son. So the father has this choice, and he decides to go ahead and crush his son so that the people can survive on the train. And the movie just conveys in, in, in a little bit of... 
a small glimpse of how, what God might have gone through with this. Because it's so gripping to think of what that human father had to go through. Can you imagine what the father went through? Because it was so far exceeding what this fictional story is about. Because the father and the son enjoyed this perfect bond of fellowship. The love they shared far exceeds any human earthly father and son. Moreover, the choice that he made wasn't a split-second choice that somehow he had to make. This was something that he freely chose to do on our behalf. The father knowingly sent his son to suffer an agonizing death and to endure spiritual torment as our sin substitute. It was an incredible sacrifice by the father to send his son. Mark Jones writes, God would never have put his son through such torment and and suffering unless he wished to display the greatness of his love toward his people. So both the father and the son possess such a deep sacrificial love. And the cross, friend, is the greatest display of the love of God for humanity. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is amazing to me. And I hope you think about that. Because it made me think just this week, you know, looking back before I became a Christian when I was at the age of 21, looking at my life, I was one of those passengers on the train, so to speak. Right? That was me. God loved me when I did not love him. I prayed probably a handful of times in my whole life. God loved me. I used his name in vain a lot. He loved me. I disregarded his commands. He loved me. I never worshiped him. Never. He loved me. I mocked and made fun of people all the time. People made in his image. He loved me. That's the love of God, friends. That's the love of God. Sacrificial love of God. And here's something else. It didn't stop at the cross. It didn't stop at the cross. Now God applies what Jesus accomplished to our lives. And he doesn't just do it to humanity in general, but he does it to each one of your lives. You as an individual matter to him, and he applies this love to you. You say, well, what are the benefits of God's sacrificial love? Let me mention three. First, God's love makes us spiritually alive. By nature, we're spiritually dead is what the Bible says. I know that's tough to hear, but it's what the Bible says. We don't seek him in our own accord. We're spiritually dead. We need him to do a work in our lives so that then we repent and turn to him. We need God's intervention. And because of God's love, he makes us spiritually alive. You guys listening out there? You live out there? Ephesians 2, 4, 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. 
When we were spiritually, excuse me, when we become spiritually alive, then we repent of our sins. Then we start believing in Christ. Then we start living for his glory. But it all goes back to God making us alive because he loves us. He says, wake up, spiritual corpse, and start living for me. But then he's not done. He keeps pressing on. Keeps pressing on. God's love adopts us as children. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We don't have a natural right to claim uh, being part of the family of God. We sin against him. We have no claim upon him. And it would have been gracious enough for God to say, okay, I'll make you a citizen of the kingdom. But God says, okay, I will make you a part of my family. And then Ephesians 1, 4 to 6 goes even further when it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So friends, even before the world was created, God set his love upon you that you would become part of the family of God. Third, God's love fills our hearts. Romans 5.5 5 says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, Paul's not referring here to the love that we have for God. He's saying that God poured his love into our hearts so that we would know that God loves us. And that word there, the Greek word, is pretty interesting. One writer says that it suggests a free flow and a large quantity, right? In fact, an inundation. Picture in your mind a little kid pouring a glass of Kool-Aid into a glass. Is he going to fill it halfway? No, that thing's going to be full to the top, right, and probably spill over. God poured his love into us so that we know his love. And indeed, the same love between the Father and the Son is shared with us. John 17, 16 says, I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known, listen to this, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. God gives us the same love that is experienced within the persons of the Trinity. We are now part of that. That's just mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-boggling. So how do we respond to the love of God? Well, to start, let me ask you this question. Have you ever experienced the love of God in your life? Have you ever become a Christian? Have you ever understood what this is all about and then embraced it in your own life? John 3.16 famously says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. You could replace the world with your own personal name. God so loved, fill in the blank, God so loved Brian that he gave Jesus so that I might know him. Has that ever happened to you? Has it ever become personal? Have you ever filled in the blank and said, I'm, I've learned about this stuff before, but now I want it to be real. I want to know what the love of God is. Has that ever happened? Not just learning about it, learning about facts and learning things about the Bible, but have you ever learned the love of God? 
Because he wants you to. If you will simply turn from your sins, the things that hinder us, and turn to God and believe in him, make him the Lord of your life. It's a promise. What about once we've become a Christian? Well, you know, with some of the attributes of God, we, can, we can't really grow in them, can we? We can't really imitate God, right? For example, God is omnipresent. We're not really going to grow in that attribute unless you say, well, I want to eat a lot of Christmas cookies over the holidays or something, right? I mean, you're not going to grow in that attribute. It's supposed to be a joke. You're supposed to laugh. You're not going to grow in that. But with the love of God, we can grow. We can grow. The love of God is something that we can grow. And you might say, well, I'm already pretty... I'm already pretty much a loving person. Well, that's great. I think that's tremendous. But what God would have you to hear is that you can grow in that love. Paul writes to a loving church in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, but listen to what he says. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. All right, you guys are doing great, but listen to what he says, but we urge you, brothers, do this and more. So to start, we need to grow in our love for God. Jesus said this is the first great commandment, right? He says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So we're to love God more than all else. But let me ask you, how is your love of God right now? Is it really deep and passionate? Or are you going through the motions? In his book called The Seeking Heart, Francois Finland says, to just read the Bible, attend church, and avoid big sins. Is this passionate, wholehearted love for God? Is that where you're at right now? Do you really have a love for God? Has it waned? That's the constant temptation in the Christian life for your love of God to wane over time as you go through trials and circumstances to watch that once fervent love start dwindling down. Where are you at this morning? Do you need to rekindle it? I think the best way to rekindle it is to think about these things we're speaking about God, these attributes, and to go back, other way, go back to the cross and remind yourselves of the things we spoke of and the great sacrifice of Christ and the Father on your behalf so that these things don't get numb and you hear about them and you glaze over. then we can grow in our love for others. Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39, Jesus says, this is the second great commandment. Second is like it, you shall love your neighbors yourself. We're to love others as much as ourselves. Believe it or not, that's a high standard because we're constantly caring for ourselves, taking care of our needs. We're to do likewise for others. And we're, when we do this, we're just simply following the divine pattern of sacrificial love. God's love should lead to action, friends. And so should ours. We must give of ourselves just as God has done. 1 John 3, 16 to 18, not John 3, 16, but 1 John 3, 16 to 18 says, By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. 
Friends, biblical love is not easy. It's costly. It should cost your time, your money, your resources. It may not require uh, us, excuse me, it may require us to allow our spouse and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers to kind of have their way when it makes us uncomfortable sometimes because we want to go out of our way to be a blessing to them. We might need to ask ourselves, how much am I really preoccupied with myself? It's not wrong to be preoccupied and have your interests and your hobbies and so forth, but how much of your time is devoted to those things rather than other people? If all we ever do is spend our time and money that is extra, is that sacrifice? Hang in there, baby. I'm almost done. We're to sacrificially love others with our actions. And we're also to really love people with our own affection. That it's not just a simple matter of duty rather than delight. Isn't that a temptation that you can say, I'm going to help this person, I'm going to do this or that. I don't really like that person, but I'm going to do this or that to help them. God doesn't go through the motions with you and I, does he? He doesn't just do stuff because it's the right thing to do, but he has an overwhelming love and affection for us, and we're to follow in that. We're to love people, to genuinely want and desire for them to be blessed and to be a part of their lives and to encourage them and to strengthen them. 1 Peter 1.22 commands us, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Did he say mechanical heart? He said Fervently from a pure heart. And here's just a word of encouragement. You know, we're here as a church. We want our community to know about the Lord, don't we? And so we pray for our community. We, we want to share the hope of the gospel with our community. But here's something that we need to keep in mind. Perhaps the greatest evidence of that will attract the community's attention is our own love for one another. Our own love for one another. First, excuse me, John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. If you actually sacrificially love each other here in this room, the world will take notice. The community will take notice. 1 John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God. If we, have love, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What he's getting at is there, look, no one can see God visibly, right? We talked about that in a prior message. No one can actually see him, but if you and I will love each other the way we're supposed to, it will actually be the pretty close second there of a visible manifestation of who God is so that people see it and they are drawn. It's almost as if they say, I see God. Because of the way this people, the way they love and treat each other. Don't we want that in our church? Amen? Amen. Well, I'm going to close by asking someone, if you would please, I thought I had a Bible up here. But I'm going to ask someone to bring a Bible up here. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. Someone got a Bible I could read? I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, famous love passage, where Paul talks about what is love. I'd like you to close your eyes. 
and hear these words, and I would like you to apply them to yourself. Because Paul says very clearly what love is. And so in each of these cases, I would like for you to say, when he starts off, for example, when he says love is patient, to ask yourself, Brian, are you patient? Ask yourself to see where you stand with God and how God might put it on your heart to live out this way. So with every eye closed, if you would, just sit and listen to what Paul says here about what love is and apply this to your life. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Father, we thank you for these words here today. God, we pray that you would speak to each heart and mind, however your Holy Spirit sees fit, and applies it to each heart so that we will respond and we will know you further and deeper. I pray for someone here today who's never understood John 3.16 and the love that you have for them. Today they might fill in the blank and claim that promise for themselves. And Lord, for we as your people, we pray that we would live out this sacrificial love that you've called us to live. And Lord, I pray for each heart and mind. May your spirit fill our hearts so that we know the love you have for us. We can grow through dark and cold times. Lord, we pray you would remind us that your love is abundant, it is fervent, and it is everlasting. As 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, Paul said he was controlled by the love of Christ. We pray that you would control us by your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.